you're listening to On Our Terms, where we share our friend and founder journey and tell you how being labeled as non-traditional seems to be our superpower. We hope you enjoy the ride as much as we have. Oh my God. Can you even? (laughs) Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning into On Our Terms. Today, we are talking about our origin story and the journey of becoming friends to founders. We have an awesome conversation in store today, but stick around to the end where we'll always have what we're dubbing the run through, where we share one virtual hack that we've learned as a company, how we're feeling about current events, what we're listening to, what we're watching, and we'll highlight a dream sponsor, uh, a company that we can't get enough of. Okay. All right, Mary. Let's try to do this in sync. Run one, two, three. Let's talk on our Our terms. Unrehearsed. (laughs) Unrehearsed, baby. Okay. So we were chatting a little bit about how to even start about this because we, I think we've talked about it, um, in so many ways, but I was just thinking about this before we hopped on this and hit record. I was like, honestly, I don't think I've actually like really thought back to those moments and sat back into how I was feeling at those times because being here today talking about it is so much differently put of how I would have put it if I was actually talking to you about it in current time of building Bodium. Yeah. I mean, we literally started a company in the middle of a global pandemic. Like it was wild, but let's start at the beginning, right? I I mean, as an intro, those of you who don't know us, um, Camille and I have been friends for what, Cammie? Seven years, eight years? Yeah, I moved to Washington, D.C. in 2015, and I believe I met you in 2015. Yeah, 2015, and then we actually became roommates in 2017. So um, I had just gone through a really big life transition, a big breakup, and Cammie subsequently went through a breakup, and we were just kind of like, let's move in together. And soon we became roommates. It was amazing. We had this great apartment right on the river in DC and we threw a lot of themed parties um, while we just pursued our own careers in tech for me and politics for Camille. Yeah. We were like really cute girly pops. Like we had multiple, well, after you went through your breakup, like you were dating honey. You were a DC dating Barbie as we're starting to put things. It was so interesting because Mary had such a a long-term relationship, which looking back is, was very formative to how Mm -hmm. you grew up, at least in your late teens. And then your early twenties for me, it was like, I never had a boyfriend. I was just constantly working, interning, going out, partying, having fun, and just like hanging out with a lot of people. So when that happened, when you called me, you and I weren't like not the closest of friends. And no, like if imagine I look- a friend that like you've hung out with maybe five or six times. Like you don't know them very well, but no. I called Tammy the morning after my breakup happened and said, I don't know what to do. Like, can you help me? I mean, and she opened up her heart, her life, her home to me and the rest is history. Like moved me into a studio that weekend. And then we were DC Barbies just bopping all over the place in a few weeks time. Yeah. And I I think, you know, 
the funny thing is, is now that we're all through virtual and people are going to see this and we can really judge a book by its cover. And Mira and I were both still so young in our twenties going through, like, we don't know shit, but we think we know shit. We think like, this is our life. We're living it. It's so wild and up and down. And, and I think there were a lot of tests in my life that were very prevalent, but weren't to the surface so deep that I needed to solve them. So when Mary came into my life, it was at a point where I was, she opened, she was so vulnerable with me that I was like, fuck, okay, like I'll be vulnerable with this person. And moving to DC and leaving Chicago, I was not in a good mental state at that time. I was very, very depressed. Adjustment was really, really hard for me. Like I would be deterred and anxious with any new scenario. And I was really coping very well. Like I was still achieving so, um, so much at my job and just hustling and trying to keep busy, but I hadn't figured out, okay, but if I'm going to stay here in DC, like who am I actually going to have? I didn't have my family there. And that was like the beginning of Mary and I really taking on a relationship deeper, <laughs> deeper than a friendship. And yeah. this is when I confess, I'm just kidding. That we, <laughs> we joked about this. this is, <laughs> Mary and I have like yeah. that true platonic relationship, but what I felt and what I have figured out is like, I've never had a sister and it's a very like vulnerable, intense relationship because we, as we've gotten more comfortable with each other and now opening a fucking business with each other, I mean, we can't really fun. We can't really run far from like our true selves no. um, from one another, no, if that makes sense. And I have two sisters, so I'm very familiar with sisterhood. And I think it's interesting to not have a sister and then to have two sisters like Cammie and I really have become true sisters and she's become one of one of our crew too, and our families love each other. And I think this is really important context because yeah. um, it's really unique to start a business that is successful and that the relationship remains successful with your best friend, right? Like I'm sure you can all think of horror stories that you've heard. We certainly know some folks that sadly, like it, the business drove them apart. And I think <laughs> what we heard was like when we decided to start this idea and we'll, we'll get to that soon, but like this could either drive you closer together or drive you apart. And thank God, truly, whoever's up there, you know, looking out for us that this really has been our secret sauce. Um, and the foundation of a relationship we built, like growing up together, really, in D.C. and then moving to L.A. together and, and you know, just knowing each other and families and building community um, has been the foundation of Bodium. And um, when we were prepping, Cami said something really interesting that, like, you know, looking back, and again, we'll get there. But like when we, we were building Vodium, we really felt like it was this business idea and, you know, it was this other thing. But at the end of the day, what we've realized now, almost four years into this is like, it's really just been us and like the magic of us working together. And it's just, it's cool and special to reflect on. Bruh, I'm almost going to cry. Um, okay. So why that's, why this is ironic that Mary says this, um, when the idea of Odium came to be, Mary and I were roommates, but we were very fresh into the pandemic. So envision <laughs> how how young was I? Twenty eight, maybe. And yeah, you were always I turned twenty nine the day I drove from LA to Memphis. Oh yeah, you left on your birthday, and yep. it was the first day of lockdown, and we uh -huh. ordered Indian food, and we were like, shouldn't we watch Contagion? <laughs> 
worst decision ever. Oh, oh I loved it. I was we like, we should have a whole episode where we just talk about pandemic war stories. And I would love to have, I, I want to hear everyone's stories because it was such a weird time. That yeah. And, then, out, but. and it was just a weird time because Mary and I were so, I think, depressed. We were depressed. We had yeah. just moved to LA. We weren't very close to the point where like we were going to, a, Mary and I were really like happy in our lives. And when we moved to LA together, there was so much that we, what the fuck? We just moved to LA by us ourselves. Like I understand people at the time were like, this is so crazy, but you cannot tell me no. Maybe as I get more experienced, I'll be like, oh yeah, I won't do that. But I've always had this side of me where I'm like, oh, I just have to see for myself yep. um, and not be afraid of diving in. So Mary and I really dove in. We were in West Hollywood for six months. We were living right off of Mountain in Havenhurst. Oh, what an annoying, beautiful street. Like we looked up and could see the Hollywood Hills and all the mansions. It was so, actually an iconic apartment. No, so sexy. And Selling Sunset was just about to come out. So like mm -hmm. during the pandemic, I was stuck just looking at the house. You could literally get my ex-boyfriend at the time had binoculars and we were like, whoa. Um, but being in such a beautiful place and like a very rich, fancy, like it's a very famous queer community in LA, very well taken care of. And then it was like just thrown down with COVID and we were trapped and it was just a really weird, weird time. And so when the pandemic happened, Mary was going through stuff at work. Like that's a even deeper story of, you know, the, the ovaries on this woman for moving across to Los Angeles, quitting an awesome job because she wanted to go work her LA dream of working in big tech. And she and got rejected by everyone. <laughs> yeah. But that's so annoying because that's the rejection is powerful, but then it also proves our story of like, thank God you were rejected. No, because no. And, and I just like have to say, and this is so cliche, but I, I actually love cliches. So like, have you ever heard the term rejection is divine protection or rejection, a less religious way? Rejection is redirection. I mean, that was my story. And like Cammie's fast forwarding where to like the pandemic hits and we start voting in, but like we had a, both of us personally, professionally, tumultuous for six months in LA. <laughs> like I started a consulting business because I, that's all I had to do. And then suddenly I was an entrepreneur and it changed my life, but we were both working like 65 hours a week. It was a, the 2020 election cycle for Cami. I mean, it was in, insane. I was trying to be in like an LA Latina media consultant from DC, make my name for herself. I was helping out or I was trying to make my own name in city politics and right. I was such a baby and my firm at the time was like, yeah, go out to LA and we'll give you a vice president label and you can start shopping for business. But they gave me no support, which is fine. They were so busy and they were allowing me to move across country with my best friend. But now that we have Vodium, oh my God, I would approach that political game so differently. But I was literally um, helping a teacher run for city council against, what is the guy's name? Kevin, I want to say Kevin. It's not. And I love that I'm forgetting his name right now. Absolutely. Ken. No, what's his name? God damn it. Mary, Google it. Google it. Okay. So I was doing, I was helping her and she was like, this woman is unpolished. I don't mean that to a bad um, matter, but like she went, I'm so supportive of people who want to run for political office to run based on the merit that they want to 
they feel like they'll be good and want to change, but you have to be so ready and committed and prepared and ready to be coached be coached by someone. And that was really hard for her. And I was in a place where I was so eager to like give all this knowledge to this woman who was running for city council against a Kevin DeLeon. <laughs> Kevin DeLeon. Kevin I, don't, DeLeon. I don't care if people know, man, but he, well, he's, he's gotten karma. Let me just say karma. Karma comes around and I got to know a bit of how big, big, political wigs in LA city politics function. And that name, Kevin DeLeon, was someone who was very personal to that ride. So like Mary and I were living a fucking life. We were young. We were so hungry to make a name for ourselves. I was like, not really, I had just gotten out of a really long, rela not real long relationship, but like a really intimate relationship with oh. someone well, th this was with the farmer. And then when we left to LA, like right before that, I just jumped into something else. I wanted something fun. And I started dating like a younger dude. And he, when I told him that I was moving to LA, he was like, let me come. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. And then I would remembered that my mom was like, ask him and Mary, ask him to go live somewhere else. And he was like, I'm not moving to LA if I'm not going to be able to live with you. I was so young and like really did not have the love for myself to be like, no, what? No, I'm moving out to LA with my best friend. But that was a very unique situation living with a very, like a younger dude than us who was just newer and fresher in his career than us. So like he was going crazy during the pandemic and I wasn't happy in the relationship, but I didn't know what was depressing me. Was it the violetal 2020 election? Was it the pandemic? Was it um, being so away from home? Was it that Mary had just left? And like, I feel very, very isolated and alone. Like, oh my God, I, we felt so, I, and what, what did you do? Where did well, you go? I went home. And, uh, I went home. Where's home, home honey? Yes. Tune in next week because we're going to talk about living with our parents. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a, it was an intense time. And I do want to say like, you know, yes, we, the three of us lived together. I lived with Cammie and her boyfriend at the time. Um, it of course strained our relationship, but you know, the thing about it was, is that it made so much sense. We all had very cheap rent and we, we had fun together. I mean, there are a lot of good, funny memories from that. Um, <laughs> and we were all just going, we're young. We were young. Like it was just, it, it was the thing to do. And it was an adventure and the whole thing was an adventure. But so pandemic starts happening. This is crazy. I fly to DC on March 1st. And I had had a horrible case of the flu in February, which I thought maybe I was the coronavirus, but it was the sickest I ever was. And, um, I, but I tested was it, the flu. Was it COVID? No, I don't think so. But anyway, I'm like recovered. My dad, who's pivotal, or both of our dads, all of our parents are really pivotal to our story. But my dad um, was president of the Memphis Restaurant Association at the time. So this is March 1st. So we're hearing news from Wuhan hearing news of like from Seattle, that like people are starting to get sick. Um, but I, I've, when I was in DC, my dad would always go with the national restaurant association, that NRA national restaurant association to the Hill to lobby. So he said, do you want to come with me? I said, absolutely. So I wrapped it up into a trip to visit a client. I fly out, we're lobbying on behalf of restaurants and we have a private reception at the library of Congress with 
every basically hospitality and restaurant leader across America. And it is so surreal to look back on that because only three weeks later, when I get back to LA, I said, Sammy, we got to go stock up. We stock up. <laughs> Mary, <laughs> Mary, this is why, like Mary and I are also such different personalities, but we're so compatible because we think neurotically in such oh, yeah. beautiful different ways. And before you tell people what you did so beautifully for us in the pandemic, remember when we were like, so is this a thing? We were at the wing in West Hollywood, which was so freaking bougie. And I remember watching, like it was so dead. And we were like, this is getting kind of spooky, Mary. And then we were going into the bathroom and we were like, oh, look, like I vividly remember like Sebastian Stan, the actor showing us how to wash our hands. And we were like, oh, it was. And we were so ironically, like we thought at the time living our dream, we were in the wing, like we were in the bathroom. It was so sad. They had Chanel perfume, Dyson hair dryers. It was pretty awesome. But so on my way back on my way back from DC and my DC clients who I used to work with thought I was crazy. Mm-hmm. They're like, you are literally a doomsday prepper. I was like, I, I am. And I will be. And if there is ever <laughs> another pandemic, let me tell you, I will be prepared. But, um, I ordered literally a life-size crate of Sherman ultra soft toilet paper, a uh, Sherman, Sherman, sponsored Sherman. paper towels, the good stuff. And it literally arrived in a, literally a five foot box. I'm five foot three. I'm short. It was as tall as me. And Cammie's like, what is going on? I got home. I said, we are going to the grocery store and we are stocking up. And we are done. Cammie is nothing if not a hype woman. She goes, okay, we're going. We got two carts. I mean, we piled them up. Three days later, LA shuts down. I know. And the grocery stores were empty. It was crazy because my sister, shout out to Grace, uh, did not go to the grocery store. And I was such a concerned older sister that I went for her three days later and they were empty and I just bought anything I could. But anyway, I'm I'm digressing. No, but- no. This is what our ama- amazing investor would say, John, that w- why a huge reason that he invested in us was like, always trust a woman's intuition. Intuition. You know, never let, never let them stray. Okay. So let's now really quickly right. jump to Mary and I were not like Mary and I were separated by this pandemic. I was in LA feeling so isolated, confused. Like I just, I was in this thought it was going to be a love bubble, but it wasn't a love bubble. So it was very sad and hard. And I really wasn't, you know, looking back at the time, the people that I was working for, they were also going through such a stressful time in pandemic. So it was very, very heightened, but there was like some awful mismanagement and some, you know, working in politics is not fun. Mm-hmm. And especially if you, you're someone who thinks that they, sh- or believes that they should be treated with love and kindness and affirmation and always dreamt and thought, that when I got a job, I'd have such amazing mentors and managers. And that's how my parents raised me. Like my dad is such a good leader and manager. My mom is. So I was just like, oh, this is what to expect. And then when you are young in your twenties and you're growing in a career that you are excited to enter and you realize that not everyone's really nice and kind, I was, I felt very, it was just such a toxic work environment that I was working in. And, um, I was being very mistreated and I was also like, go, I was radical, bro. I was in West Hollywood. I was in LA. Weed was legal. I was like 27, 20, no, 28. And, you know, black lives matter was happening for our generation. Like 
and our mindset, you know, I know people are saying right now, like what Gen Z is so like outspoken and shit. Well, for me as a young millennial and being in very, um, national politics, I just, it helped me become such like a radically independent thinker. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, I, it's like I had to, I went from opposite end to opposite end really quickly. And then with the pandemic and moving my life to then back with my parents, like it, it was like th- shit had to fucking explode. And then I feel like now three and a half years later, I'm becoming the woman that I'm so happy to become. And like thirties is actually when you maybe start to become an adult. So with all of that said, I was so unhappy, but I felt like I just had so much time on my hands because I was unhappy and I was anxious. So what do I do? What do we do? What else can we do work-wise? What what other hobbies can we take on? And it was such a time where I was so unhappy on so many other things that I said, I felt so fucking bold in other ways. So I was conducting a video shoot all on zoom. So it was on a very big Senate race, the main Senate race. We were doing an ad against, uh, Senator Susan Collins. And I was working with real life Mainers. I was supposed to be out there in person with them and conduct them on a teleprompter. Like my job is getting average Joe on camera about to say the most fucking awesome jaw dropping comment about something something that they don't feel great about in terms of whoever they're talking about who's in political office or whatever. Um, and I was like, Oh my God, I have to do this now with Mainers with no broadband who I have to tell them to look, get a computer. If they have one, like, I'm not saying they don't have a computer, but it's not like they have the latest Macs. Right. Bro. And then I'm like, you got to look at the camera. Do you know where the camera is? And they're like, yeah, but like, what, how am I going to read my script? Um, what am I going to do? And I'm like, functionally, I'm like, what do I have to do here? I have to share something that makes them read close to the computer's camera. And I was like, well, that would be a teleprompter. So uh, I instinctively searched teleprompters on any app store, both on mobile and your computers. And there were teleprompters out there, but nothing that I could easily control or nothing that I could just click open on a desktop. And it could have so many functionalities that I could quickly just get something rolling, um, how my production brain would work, but everything was just so not geared towards a production mentality. And it was really overwhelming. So I literally had to share my zoom screen for five individuals over a span of two weeks have them read off a a 30 second script that was compiled of their, of their own words. And I had to click through, I tried two ways. I tried Mm -hmm. sharing my iPhone via an app, via share a USB connection. And I would just click on my mobile app because the best teleprompter was just on mobile. It's just an easier way to build an application and so I just streamed onto Zoom. And then the other way is I would share a PowerPoint PowerPoint presentation and there would just be one sentence on the slide and I would share my screen. So it would make them feel like they're looking at the camera. And I was just like- Funky solutions. Oh, like, piece something together. And what we're still yeah. hearing from people is like, we really had to build, like it's so taxing that I think about how I think about how- consuming that was of like how, and you're going to put this on national TV, like, literally. Oh. 
This was really hard for me to imagine. Um, and then, you know, I also, I'm in the, I'm in politics, so I'm watching the news 24 seven and then I'm seeing politicians and some local broadcasters speaking on their computer. And I'm like, wait, these are polished speakers. I thought, I thought these were really good communication people. I thought they, they're, they're supposed to know how to master their presence anywhere they go. Not true because we're so used to having people help us, especially if you're at that certain level. So it was like, holy shit, everyone's trying to do what I tried to do on Zoom. Find a way to easily say something that makes me look like I'm looking at the camera. So I just had an idea and I uh, G-chatted Mary one day, which was so unlike us because we would have just called each other. Or we would have just texted. So it was like, we weren't really talking then. So I just G-chatted, told her I had an idea and what happened? Well, yeah. Well, and here we are. So you know the ending of the story, but so Cammy G-chats me, alluded to it. I was living at home at the time. We'll get into that story, but I'm living in Memphis with my parents. I am running, just to give you context, uh, my consulting business and terrified I'm going to lose my clients. Luckily, they're all in kind of the hybrid virtual education space. So my work just grew. I'm also trying to help my dad save the restaurants in Memphis and pivot his business. And Cami G chats me with this idea. And to back up my product marketing agency that I was running, the whole concept was to manage product launches. So like bringing ideas from concept to reality. Um, and so she texts me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll look. I'll see if I can find you something. So I searched for a day. And at this time, we I mean, everyone, you listeners included, if you remember, we're glued to the news, right? Like we're we're in lockdown. It's April. We are doing nothing but having the news on in the background. And we have this funny slide in our pitch deck. And it's literally like Cami alluded to, like Joe Biden, like talking down here, like Tom Brady looking up here. I mean, the best speakers in the world were watching them like zoom in from their bathrooms, not knowing where to look at the camera. So it took me about 24 hours. I said, I'll call you tomorrow. I'm like, all right, this is a good fucking idea. Like, let's explore it. Well, we don't really just explore things. It's not uh, who we are as people. And within, I don't know, two weeks, April 17th, 2020, uh, we opened up the company. And at the time, it was actually a huge blessing. I was living with my parents because both of my parents are entrepreneurs. And just, you know, Memphis is a, a small town, big city. And they were like, yeah, 100%. Call our friend Chris at Glankler to be your lawyer. And yeah, we got an accountant over here. And we just started making phone calls. And the other cool thing that happened was, you know, I had been in tech previously in DC and just called up some people I knew. And a lot of the developers and like people in software engineering at the time were all working from him and looking for side projects. So Cammie, I'll I let mean, you from there. Where, where I want to really quickly flash forward, flash forward to where we are today. Like if, uh, oh. I would still tell us to build Vodium knowing what we've learned today, but it is so amazing and hilarious that like literally, you know, the odds were so against us from the beginning because literally. we just thought we were, I didn't think this was a big deal. I'm like, how do we build this? It's just like, I've, I'm not, I am technical. I'm how I'm, my brain's oriented, how I think things should work. Right. I'm not the ones actually building it, but I have the vision. So does Mary. So we thought that this was going to be just like a simple thing, but Mary and I then 
by doing this, stumbled into the biggest fucking learning experience of our life. Like you don't, bitch, if you want to, if you want to go to business school 101, don't be coders and start a very highly coded application and then build it with $5,000, $5,000 to be clear. That was the app and the website <laughs> altogether through a developer that Mary had worked with previously randomly. Like you hardly knew. And we were like, build this. And he's like, yeah, no problem. And thought that we could just put it out there for people to download and maybe pay for how fun. And, you know, Mary and I built, we helped, you know, build a website, created content. We created a brand. Like it was us testing our wildest dreams. Like no one telling us we couldn't do it. No one else we could try. No one else, you know, saying, no, you don't have any experience. We were just like, this is what we think we need to do. And we've asked so many people for advice. We called my dad. He's a lawyer. We called so many of my dad's friends um, who were lawyers. Oh my God. Who did we not talk to? Um, we talked to everyone. We called all of our old like sales buddies. My mom was like, oh, a, a girlfriend that I go on walks with is an investor and like kind of not really, but we, 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 we had, we knew the questions to ask. And so our circle kept on growing and growing of people more knowledgeable of what we were in fact building. Um, but we built this app with $5,000. So we split it. We launched it um, August 28th. 2020, 25th, oh, sorry, 25th. Because I had COVID. I was in COVID quarantine in a hotel by myself. <laughs> oh my God. It was like. The first of three times like COVID. Yes, I've had my vaccines, um, but this was early days. So, And I was like, Mary, this is your third time getting COVID. I'm not co-chaining you, but I'm like, we got to launch this. And you poor baby were locked in a hotel and oh. the lighting was awful. Like you're, you've lost all color in your skin. I lost you were like, we're wild. My dad would drop off food at my door every day. It was, I mean, that was the first time I had it. It was really actually. Oh, I apologize. Sorry. It was quite scary. Um, but I was fine. I was like, we're going to launch this. I would like nap, like wake up and like go like write email copy. I take everything back, everyone. Okay. So yes, yes, we have gotten called COVID multiple times here, but um, I take it back. It was Mary's first time. And that was actually really, really scary because Mary also has had issues with her heart all of her life. Um, so Sorry. No, that don't apologize. No apologies. Because <laughs> it was so sad and scary. scary. I felt so alone because we were about to push an app live. And I'm like, what does this mean? It was so weird. And like, I, I hope that this is giving like, our, you know, our followers context that like, this was our pandemic side project. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> this, this was August of 2020. The election is in November. Cammie is in her busiest time in politics. My business continued to grow. And because of the financial insecurity of owning your own consulting business, like I had to keep the work coming. Like I was billing 65 hours a week on top of this. Like we are both working ourselves to the bone around the clock. But ironically, like Bodium's the fun stuff. We're yeah. Like, oh, like but it, it was just a project. Okay. So then we launched oh. the 25th of August. We have some very wonderful people in our networks who pushed it out within a week, y'all. We had 50 paid customers, including executives, shout out to our favorite publication at the New York Times, and members of Congress. 
using our product that we had just pushed off the side of our desks. I mean, if that's not like market validation or product market fit from literally week one, I don't know what is. So, I mean, we knew we were onto something right from the start. Yeah. And looking back, like just knowing now Mary and I have had the privilege to be a part of a lot of startup and founder organizations and groups where we work intimately with other founders and get a lot of consulting and, you know, it kind of reminds me of all the pivots we've done in our life. Like I remember I tore all of my ACLs literally and I was like, I got to quit sports. And so I'm like, let's go into acting. And so I got into acting camps and people were like, I didn't care. It's like, I didn't care. Michigan acting camp, University of Michigan, go blue. Go blue. Eight alumni. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. And then, um, I remember like this one awesome actress who was just so afraid and just like so hard on herself. She's like, why do you make it look so easy? I was like, cause I'm not, I really don't care. I'm, I can't, I'm, this is such a cool experience for me to be experiencing. Like I'm not the best in the room. Yeah. Or do I want to be, I'm just yeah. like, this is so fun for me. I've always wanted to know about theater and I, my dad and mom made me audition for this and I got it. Like how interesting. And so this felt very similar. I just felt so blessed that like, because I'm going to cry because it was very like, we were so young still in our career where we are just starting to make a name for ourselves and still like people don't take us seriously easily still at that age. And especially as women, especially in politics, especially in tech, and then especially then being your own business owner for you, Mary, yeah. it was like really just so, oh my God, like what? I was like, I, yes, we yes. are talented. We do, we can do things that are cool without our bosses or without having to work under someone who doesn't believe in us. Exactly. And I actually love the high school pivot example. So Cami pivoted from sports to acting and then into broadcast journalism. I also had a pivot. I, I was um, a cheerleader and class president for my <laughs> freshman and sophomore years. I mean, I was like that annoying, like, just did everything, president of everything. And um, it checks I, out. I lost my junior class race for president because all the, my friends, my, the male jocks, my grade decided to vote against me as a joke. I lost Rude. my, one they pulled me out of class. They were like, Mary, Mary Glenn is my Southern name. Mary Glenn, like you've lost by one vote. I was pretty devastated. And they all one vote. One vote. Um, anyway, but I thought, you know what? fuck it. I probably didn't say fuck it in high school, but um, screw it. Like, <laughs> I am going like, I don't, I don't need this anymore. And I don't really like cheerleading. It's not using my brain. And this is the craziest story as an aside, speaking of theater, this kid, they were starting the debate team at my, I had a new, I was at a new high school. This kid was supposed to go to a statewide tournament on a Friday, on a Monday, he falls 30 feet from the scaffolding onto the theater stage, survives. They call him Spider-Man, but he couldn't go. <laughs> His mom would not let him go to the debate tournament, even though Jack Henry, wherever you are in this world, thank you. You changed the trajectory of my life by stepping out. And um, so they, they said, I don't know, like Mary Glenn's like a smart kid who likes to talk. Will you come and join the debate team? I said, absolutely. It, that was it. I went to debate camp. I was a huge nerd. I went to nationals. Like that was my pivot. But it that was me stepping into my like smartness, my smart Barbie. Because I don't think we've been, you know, for so long, especially for us being very outspoken girls, um, ever since a young age, it was really easy for people to call me out on things and make me feel stupid just because I was giving them so much to go off of. And that really, 
So sports was my place to be like, I'm strong, I'm empowered. And then that was taken away from me or that's no longer how we should think about it. But like, to your point, we were such, we were such fanatics for like, our adrenaline was like, give us a new project that like, but it involves our brain and how to build something. Like, it's not, that's not fun. It's like, Mary, let's go camping and do shrooms. (laughs) and document our experience like I I think that the crazy thing though and why the high school analogy is actually really interesting is like we both pivoted in high school into things because we had to and we're like fuck it like we're not going to be scared of this we're just going to do it and then excelled this felt so much like the same like we just were like all right we're not happy in our day-to-day we're super stressed it's a pandemic all right let's try this like we didn't know how hard it would be like we didn't know like that it is actually takes a tremendous amount of work and capital and time to build a successful tech company. Now we do, but like we had, you don't know what you don't know at the start. And, you know, I, I think, think that's that beautiful is, too. Like entrepreneur will tell you, like, if, if you had told me all the heartache we had had to go through to get here, I probably still would have, I would have still done it. No questions asked, but it would have been really scary, but we just, we were just dumb enough to just go for it or smart enough to just go for it. Smart on not. We big, big, Very energy, energy, honey. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, more, more of a physical energy and sensation where now I've, we've had to work so hard on ourselves mentally and more emotionally, like Mary and I were not afraid to jump into something that really Mm -hmm. scared us, but now we're processing the feeling that we were feeling and now associating it with things that have helped us become more confident and in love with ourselves throughout this process, because, as my therapist, Michael, reminds me every day is, Kemi, we still live in a, a sexist society. That's no hate to our haters, to our, our our male lovers out there, our male champions out there. But like as equals and as, you know, coexisting brains in this tech space, both men and women and everyone, like us showing up in this space and asking questions to people who normally would never get boldly asked questions of how do you build a tech company? How do you sell into B2B? Um, We've been, we have been learning so, 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 so much and I'm forgetting of where I'm leading to, but anyway, okay. Once we, once we got validation from people and we started getting recognized from people that we've admired and really take credibly in our lives, like once we did this and we launched it and people started showing up and people started reaching out to us. Or when we started sharing to people what we were building, you know, we started getting validation from people. I think we've probably admired or wanted so much of their affirmation for years. And, you know, people started, you know, really saying, wow, this is so cool and, and good for you. And in an interesting way, because it was still such pandemic heavy times, I felt safe from it all still. So yes. Uh, so what I'll, what I'll say and try to figure out how to wrap this story of how it began is we started getting validation. The election ended and, you know, Biden got elected. I then subsequently broke up with my boyfriend and there was this new sense of Cammy where it was like, I need to get the 
book out of LA. I am not happy. I'm not happy in this relationship. I miss my family. I should be with my family during this global pandemic. I'm too far away from home. I actually think family is good for me. I've been away from home since I was 23 DC, now LA. Like I need to stop running. This is such a good time to go back home. I've saved so much money from my job and I'm going to get a bonus and I'm going to take a year off and live with my parents. Like what a time to do it. What a time where I don't feel like people would judge me or I would judge myself. And it felt very safe. And I quit politics in on December 31st, 2020 was my last day in national politics. And I was full-time Vodium. We weren't paying ourselves yet, but I, I was dedicated fully to, to Vodium. So that that's how I would end our origin story. And then when it leads us into living with our parents, me living with our parents and research and fundraising and all that jazz, but like, how would you close off your your version, my version. Um, yeah. End of, end of 2020, I think is the right place to, to stop it. I mean, I was still living at home. We were, I was supposed to go back to LA. This is crazy. And oh. Amy and I were going to live together in an Airbnb in Venice. And I had a, a very expensive Airbnb and she calls me at Thanksgiving. And I had had this feeling like maybe I need to stay in Tennessee. Same feeling. I have roots here. I have family. I was with my family for the first time in 10 years. And I was like, this feels right. And she goes, well, I'm going through this breakup and I think I should move home. I'm like, perfect. I get out of the Airbnb unscathed because there was a huge unscathed. I didn't have to pay anything because there was a huge outbreak in LA that had just happened. And um, personally, it felt all very meant to be because a week later, first week of January, I met my now fiance. <gasps> So you did yeah. how crazy, like, can we just talk about as a putting a bow on it? If you believe in this woo woo shit and spiritual shit and things like you feel things can feel serendipitous and feel like good karma and meant to be Mary and I, Mary and I, how are met out, how we met our paths, how we've grown with each other, what lessons and things we have taught each other, what triggers we have triggered each other in to help us evolve into who we are. Like, bitch, you went through a breakup. I went through a breakup. And then we went through all of this stuff. And now you moved home. And then I went through a breakup and then you found someone and now you're getting married. And then I moved home and I was single and I'm still going through my evolution. But I just, I just, isn't there, don't you feel some alignment? It's totally aligned. And you know, I never thought about the fact that I met Gary that week. And Gary and Mary 2023. Uh, this weekend, actually. So, but oh. I would have never met him without Vodium, ever, which is really crazy. And yeah. it's really, really special. I've never actually thought about it that yeah. way. Because I, I think it's our it's, baby. It is our baby. And I just think that, like, the moral of the story is, and, you know, tune in for the next uh, 12 episodes we're going to be bringing to you between now and the holiday break. But, like, when you build something bigger than yourself, I really believe in the law of attraction. Like mm. it, it brings you so much more than just, just a company. And I could cry. I don't really cry that much, but like no, she tears right now, but like the sentiment is there. Like <laughs> it healed Camille and I's relationship. Like it brought us so many wonderful people, our team who we're going to tell you about in a few weeks. Like it brought me to my marriage. It like brought us both back home. Like I don't know. I just think it it brought us also, and maybe we can adhere to ourselves. Like we've grown into the amazing women 
like we always were supposed to become and the leaders we were supposed to become. So a long life. We're still young. We're like 30, 32, 31, but no, you're fucking right. I'm living in the cutest little lofty apartment in Chicago. I'm a you dog. Painted that herself. So. I, thank you. I'm a dog mama. And um, a Tio. we love Tio. I have a do- I have a mama Bob, you know, like I'm, th- I feel like I'm thriving. Okay. So the funny thing is, is Mary and I were like, these are going to be 30 minute episodes. It is what it is. Thank you so much for listening to our whole entire origin story. But as promised, Mary, if you're good, should we go through the run through? Absolutely. Okay. So as a reminder, and if you're still listening at this point, (laughs) this is the run through every week, we're going to give you a virtual hack because that is our expertise give you a reflection on what's going on in the world, a current event, um, tell you about a business we can't get enough of, and then like a podcast or a TV show recommendation. So Cami, start us off with a hack. Yes. Okay. So one of the things that Mary and I have really worked hard on in running our company together is that we are a virtual and remote company. We see each other um, still, and we'll get to that in later episodes of how we make the most of it. But um, that allows me to work at my pace. So a majority of our days are really packed with back-to-back video meetings. That's just exhausting. It is for everyone. It doesn't mean that those meetings can't be impactful, but it just means that you have to think about your days differently. So when I have back-to-back meetings, I really can't do busy work and the work that I actually have to fulfill. So I tend to stop working around 1 or 3 p.m. And I play with Tio. I get ready for dinner. I go work out. I run errands. And then I get a burst of energy around like 8, 9 p.m. and work for an hour or two hours. And <laughs> shout out to procrastination Barbies and ADD. Like when you're like in the zone and you're like, I have to crush this work. It's funny how much of procrastination gets in the way of actually how effective I can be at fulfilling tasks. So some of the tasks that I need to fulfill is just helping manage our team and operations. So I reach out to our team members, check in on things. And I, instead of messaging them at 8 PM or 9 PM, I'm scheduling my messages on Slack. So I schedule them for around 8 AM, 9 AM, but there's no rush, but I'm not functioning and alive in the morning. I'm waking up with my puppy. I'm still drinking my coffee or I'm at another meeting. So asynchronously, Slack, scheduling your Slack messages is like so smart and such a wonderful and great way to um, asynchronously work with a team. Yeah. And it sets boundaries, right? Like yes. we don't ever want our team members to feel like, oh shit, I just got messaged that for me, it would be like 6 a.m. For Cami at like 8 p.m., I got to respond. Like that. that's that's what we, tr- we used to live that life and we're trying to get away from that. So yeah, I'm not trying to get bombarded by a 6 a.m. message and then feel like my heart just leapt out of my right. chest. And that, yeah, that, oh, someone's already working. I got to be up or like, you know, you're not doing something by not working at 10 p.m. So, so, uh, uh, so if you know, Mary and I, we are news fanatics. We just love the news. We love talking about current events. So Mary, uh, anything that's popping in the news right now that yeah, I mean, really taking your interest over the last few weeks, I think it's been so interesting to see zoom Google now, Amazon, um, just made headlines this week. Uh, making their employees come back to the office. So, you know, look, like we say that we're in our Vodium lives, like we have a tool for the hybrid world. A hundred percent, there has to be an in-person component um, for work to get done and for collaboration to happen most effectively. We believe that we can get into it. We have a lot of very strong feelings on it because we've literally 
been researching and studying this for three and a half years. And, and, and are building a company. Right. Like that we're is like a, we're an example. Like this is all through experience. However, um, you know, I, I've, a lot of companies are doing the three-day mandatory rule. And then, you know, it sounds like Amazon is saying you've got to come in above and beyond that. Mm-hmm. I hate it. I like, I absolutely hate it. And you know who I think it hurts more than anyone? Parents. And more than any parent, moms. Because over the last few years, like there's been a huge shift in, you know, how you live your life in a fluid and hybrid world. Um, and childcare decisions have been made over the last three years. Mm-hmm. Division of labor has been made. And what happens now when you have to commute an hour into the office, three to five days a week, right? Like a huge burden gets put back on parents. So I'm, I'm, I'm not for it. It's a no for me. It's a no for me, dog. No for me, that, dog. that, um, turns me into the segue of a thing I'm listening to or a thing I'm watching. And, um, I listen daily Mo news. Mo news is, uh, now a podcast, but this individual Moshe started on Instagram during the pandemic. And this was someone who had been in news forever. And he just also felt during the pandemic that he was, you know, sick of being in the very corporate news world. And he wanted to just, tell people what's going on in the world without um, diluting it to an extent or some lens. So he, he got really famous off of Instagram. And I listened to his like 20 minute podcast every morning that tells me about the news. And they were talking about Amazon today. Like I agree with you, but I think the, the weirdest thing, which I don't understand is that what I'm sensing is that there are a lot of managers or leaders, leaders Mm -hmm. out there who probably are older than us, just based on like stereotypically in your forties, fifties, even sixties, you're, they're getting closer to those really senior executive C-suite positions. And it's really making me stressed. Like these people just have no, which is not their fault, but why should they have the grasp of how to manage virtually Mm. for us millennials? Like we are very, we're more prone to dive into new technology and new tools because we grew up with computers and then cell phones earlier on. So me learning new technical skills wasn't intimidating to me. And then I then did feel more productive because working with older adults or other people who felt like they need to be side by sides with someone, I'm still working the same time that I am at home, but they felt as if they had maybe more management and control if they physically saw people. And that to me makes me feel as if that's like a, that's a huge management issue and how you're relating to people and how, what I had an issue with in politics is my managers never met me, how I was managed best or what I needed to be productive and versus we had to conform to their ways. And, Mm -hmm. um, what if I don't work that way? And I feel like I'm actually being more suppressed and not giving you my full detail. Like, let me show up and show you the work versus feeling like you need to breathe over my back. So I just, I'm I'm feeling like I agree with you. Yes. There need, like you said, there needs to be an in-person component, but it really feels like, no, it's like the, the Zooms, the Googles, the fucking Amazons of the world can hire the, the the most expensive guru of the fucking world and be like, we need to we need to spread some emotional energy here and really collaborate and believe in this. And that's not a vert virtual is very makes it a little bit heightened, but like there's a root issue that that's at at stake here. Yeah. And so I don't I don't feel like any of them are 
getting it. I think the root issue is distrust, honestly. Jesus. Huge, huge research study on trust and communication and virtual work. It's really interesting. I would get into it, but uh, we don't have time because we're 51 minutes. Well, let's let's ping pong. Let's ping pong. All right. So I am addicted to the U.S. Open, uh, one of my favorite times of the year. I wish we were in Flushing Meadows this week. We were actually there last year with our friends, with my fiance. We had a blast. We have friends there right now. Um, we were so fortunate to be at Serena's first match last year at her last U.S. Open um, and also to get to see Rafa play. Um we also, our friend Chris drug us to a practice court to see this young kid named Carlos Alcaraz, who now we all know. Uh, we love Alcaraz. I don't know if you saw him singing the other night. It was really, really funny. But um, I'm just, I, I love it. I love the spirit, the energy, um, the competition. It's it's one of my favorite things to have in the background and to watch at night. Yes. I can't wait to have it in the um, background today. Okay. So let us end it off with a dream sponsor. We are going to shout out Loom, L-O-O-M. Jimmy's favorite company ever. Because it involves video. And obviously I love video because I feel I struggle with writing emails. I struggle with writing because I overthink things and I'm like, I don't know how, this is what, how I want to say it, but is that, is that personal? Is that too personal? Is that not professional enough? I've always struggled with that. So Loom is a great, company that allows you to record a video and easily send it via email and it will embed the the thumbnail of the video in a little gift so it's like me waving and you get to pop it open and it's a little treat versus reading an email mm -hmm. you are opening up a 15 second video of me being like hey mary sorry i missed you sorry you couldn't make the call or um I'm so sorry I have to cancel this meeting, but this can honestly be done asynchronously. So let me send you a quick video. Um, and then with Loom, you could also share your screen. So let's say I was like, hey, Mary, I uh, don't have time to meet with you to show you how we're going to run stream, um, StreamYard. So let me share my screen. But then in the, in the corner, there's a thumbnail of me talking. Right. So it also gives a personal touch. I've sent it to... Uh, managing partners at Ernst & Young, and they have loved it because it makes them feel like a little spunky. Personal. Yeah. yeah. Personal. 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 It's, it's great. Okay. So everyone, wow. A 30 minute episode turned to an hour. We want to say thank you so much for listening to On Our Terms. Mary. And if you enjoyed this episode, <laughs> woo, I've got my voting up with my notes, guys. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, truly, please share our journey on LinkedIn or wherever you really post on social. Um, we need you to grow and to continue to grow our followers and our subscribership. So um, please share it if you liked it. Amazing. And see you next time on On Our Terms. Bye, y'all. Bye.